before everything fell out of my hands. Uh, and it, the best I can describe it is that it felt like somebody flipped a switch and the circuits shut off in my brain and I could only use certain parts of it. I tried to yell out for help and I couldn't speak or make sounds. A nursing professor saw me in her rear view mirror and thought, she looks like she felt funny. That wasn't somebody tripping, that's somebody collapsing. And she was very easily able to recognize the signs of stroke that I was exhibiting. My face was drooped, I couldn't communicate, my right side was flaccid. So she obviously immediately called an ambulance and then she laid on the ground with me and literally held me in her arms on the ground. The ambulance came and things got really, really crazy, really fast. They got me in, they sort of were able to help me in. I was still disoriented, but a little bit functional. As I was laying in the ambulance and they were questioning me, I remember one of them saying, what is your name? And I remember myself saying, my name is Anna. The last thing I remember is when they wheeled me into the MRI machine and the noise once they started was so mind-bogglingly painful to my damaged brain that I started screaming and thrashing. They had to sedate me. I remember them yelling at me that you just have to be still, you have to be calm. And I just, I remember thinking, I'd love to. <laughs> There's no sanity in this moment. I don't have any control. The pain is too much. And then they sedated me. And I don't remember anything at all from the three days I was in intensive care. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. A study in 2011 found that people who'd suffered a head injury were 10 times more likely to suffer a stroke within the first three months of that injury. And one of the reasons for this is potential damage to blood vessels in and around the brain disrupting blood flow, leading to a stroke. In this episode, we hear from Anna Draveland from Marquette in Michigan who suffered a stroke at the age of 34. It's almost a little bit like telling a story as an older lady as my, of my childhood because it's such a disconnect from who I was before the stroke and who I am after. But my life was very, very adventurous, very active. I was extremely engaged with my community and my job had me running all over the place. I did community relations, public relations, and event marketing for our local tourism bureau. Uh, and I loved it because I love my home. I live in a beautiful, beautiful place on Fresh Lake Superior. And I found my dream job. I had finished college in 2014, and this was my job. I was prepared to stay in it for life and make it a career that was satisfying and checked all the boxes for what I wanted from life in a success, happiness, community, uh, and be, being able to be outside and sharing these beautiful assets. So it was very active, biking, hiking, yoga, any adventure I could get, I was on it. There wasn't much I would say no to if the opportunity came. So my life was fulfilling and I would, had reached a place where I had finished college and had found the career and it was this beautiful picture was farming for, for something that I had cultivated on purpose for many years. I had hit my head. I fell. It was a very small fall. It was just a few feet. I was laughing when I fell and suddenly I woke up in bed and I had been knocked out. I didn't know what happened. I sort of just laughed it off. I was like, oh goodness, okay. So 
well, my head hurts. I think I have a concussion. And the next few weeks, I was taking it easy because I thought I had given myself a concussion when I got hurt. So I was struggling with work and I was struggling with lights and the computer. I just kept sucking it up because I didn't have insurance. And I really just thought I had a concussion that I needed to deal with. And I was stubborn and I was strong. So I made those decisions. And then one day, three weeks after the head injury, I had gotten up to go to work and I walked to work. I was close. I had the most horrifying neck pain and head pain that day. The neck pain was really what stood out to me. I was crushed with pain. And I walk my dog every single morning before work, every single day. And I left that day and I I told her I was sorry that I wasn't going to be able to walk her. And then I almost called into work because it was just violent, you know, it was just violent pain, but it was a very busy day. I'm very committed to my job and my boss and the other senior staff member had been fired in the month prior. So I was the senior staff member and I wanted to get things done. So I decided to go for a half a day and take care of things and go home. And I left my home. I was texting with my mother who was out of town and coming home and I didn't want to scare her. She asked me how the weather was. And I I said it was snowing. It was starting to snow. and, And I said, my vision is doing something funny and my neck hurts really badly. And she said, maybe you need to get a massage. And I said, I don't think it's that kind of pain this time. This is different. I didn't want to scare her because she was so far away. I left for work and I was texting with my mother. And I remember her making one of us making a joke about my vision being winky (laughs) and knowing she thought it was funny, but I was terrified and I was just pushing through. And I started walking to work and I got about a block from my house before everything fell out of my hands. Uh, And the best I can describe it is that it felt like somebody flipped a switch and the circuits shut off in my brain and I could only use certain parts of it. I tried to yell out for help and I couldn't speak or make sounds. I was alone. I fell. Um, My right side collapsed with paralysis and I fell to the ground. And I was looking around desperately for somebody to help me and there was nobody around. And I couldn't have the cognitive ability to even consider calling 911. I wasn't there in that way. As I was falling, I got up once. I saw a blue car coming at me and I, I did everything I could to pick myself up. And I tried to throw myself at the car and I didn't work. I fell down again and she passed. And I, I watched this vehicle drive away and just realized I was in a really bad situation. But all of a sudden I looked up again and that blue car had stopped and there was a woman running towards me. It was a little chaotic for sure. I was desperately trying to communicate with her. I was trying to tell her I had a head injury three weeks earlier. I was trying to tell her anything about what I felt because I knew I I felt like I was going to lose my ability to communicate completely. But it turns out I wasn't, she couldn't understand me. Everything I was saying was gibberish. I thought I was saying the correct things, but I wasn't. As it happens, I learned this a couple weeks into my recovery because I hunted her down. I learned that the woman who stopped and saved me was a university nursing professor at our, our local university. So of all the cars that could have drove by me on that morning, as I was having a stroke, a nursing professor saw me in her rear view mirror and thought, she looks like she fell funny. That wasn't somebody tripping. 
that's somebody collapsing. And she was very easily able to recognize the signs of stroke that I was exhibiting. My face was drooped. I couldn't communicate. My right side was flaccid. So she obviously immediately called an ambulance. And then she laid on the ground with me and literally held me in her arms on the ground. And I heard the ambulance coming. And because it was, I actually lived only a mile from the hospital. So I was very blessed in a lot of ways with how this went down. She went, do you hear that? They're coming. They're coming for you. And I just started sobbing because I, and said, I don't have insurance. So I'm on the street, losing function, not able to stand, use my body. And I'm crying because I don't have insurance and I know how much it costs. Thanks to the intervention of a stranger, an ambulance soon arrived to treat Anna. The ambulance came and things got really, really crazy, really fast. They got me in. They sort of were able to help me in. I was still disoriented, but a little bit functional. As I was laying in the ambulance and they were questioning me, I remember one of them saying, what is your name? And I remember myself saying, my name is Anna. And then right after that, and and it was kind of like it was in a can. He looked at me and said, what is your name? And I looked at him and I said, my name is Anna. And then he looked at his partner and then he looked at me and said, what is your name? And it sounded like it was in a can. I knew by the way they were looking at each other that either he wasn't asking me my name or I wasn't saying it because the alarm on their faces was very, very obvious. And the lights went on and the ambulance went fast. And I, at that point, became completely convinced that if I closed my eyes, I was going to die. So I was like kind of manically trying to keep myself conscious and keep my eyes open so that I could keep myself from losing consciousness. I was just terrified. You know, it's terrifying. It was terrifying. And I remember getting to the hospital and I remember the cold air blasting on my body as they propel you out of the ambulance into the hospital. And I remember. It just felt like I got attacked by nurses and doctors. There was people pulling off all my clothes, my boots, my jacket, my socks, my pants. They were, there was needles going in everywhere. There was boots being, you know, pressure boots be put, putting on me. People are yelling. Then you hear it. Nobody had said the word stroke until I was in the ER and I heard somebody yelling, she's having a stroke. We need a clot buster now. I'm a 34 years old in extremely good shape. With no reason, I would have had a stroke. And I just laid there thinking, a stroke? Are you, what? I need a what? I remember I, I lost consciousness in the ER. I had a bradycardic episode where my, my blood pressure dropped, um, my pulse dropped, and I, they had to stop TPA and they had to stop all the treatment until they could see if I was going to recover from the drop. And I remember, I remember all of the energy losing my body when it happened. It was, it felt like I lost any ability to control any part of my body. And then they were rolling me into CT. And then the last thing I remember that day, I mean, there was me trying to talk to my brother. I remember him being there and me trying to talk to him. And he told me later that nothing I said made sense. So he just nodded and smiled and held my hand. I remember asking the doctor if I was going to die. And he said, I don't know. Looking back, I don't know for sure if, if he knew what question I was asking or if I was being clear. And if he just said, I don't know, because he couldn't understand me or if he understood my question and, and didn't know if I was going to die. 
The last thing I remember is when they wheeled me into the MRI machine and the noise once they started was so mind-bogglingly painful to my damaged brain that I started screaming and thrashing. They had to sedate me. I remember them yelling at me that you just have to be still, you have to be calm. And I just, I remember thinking, I'd love to. (laughs) There's no sanity in this moment. I don't have any control. The pain is too much. And then they sedated me. And I don't remember anything at all from the three days I was in intensive care. My mom said I was conscious and and trying to talk sometimes, but it took me 10 minutes to get a word out. And then the next thing I remember was being wheeled into the critical care unit for the beginning of my recovery. That's the next thing I remember. I did about five months of intensive therapy after with all, all three practices, the speech PT and occupational therapist. I've been very aggressive about my recovery and making sure I understand how to help myself get as much of my life back as I can. So I've actually completed another two months of intensive rehab last year, two years into my stroke at uh, the University of Michigan Hospital Systems. I've been able to total, I've completed for the stroke around a year of rehabilitation. Anna's stroke was serious and life-threatening, and she was lucky that a passing nursing professor from the local university could see she was in need of immediate medical assistance. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Anna on her new business. I recently did build sort of a platform and a business for myself called Goodness and Greens. It's an online shop, so it functions independent of whether I have energy or whether I'm sick or whether I'm in the ER or anything. It's uh, selling aeroponic tower gardens that have automatic water and lights. And on the positive impact of online support groups. I joined to all these groups and I was so confused in a lot of the early recovery because my hospital doesn't have a lot of great post-stroke information. There's a kind of a lack of education in our rural hospital. And I was very confused by what was going on. Nobody prepared me for it. Things were happening that I didn't know were normal for strokes. Let's hear how Anna's stroke affected her job. I tried to go back to work about five months into my recovery. I started back part-time and they were very accommodating. They were wonderful. They were, they're still wonderful to me, but they did everything they could to accommodate me. And it became very clear that the damage to my body is extensive. I was not able to fulfill 15 hours a week. Some weeks I couldn't come in at all. I was having to leave and go to the emergency room during meetings. My vision was going crossed. I couldn't understand people if there was more than three people in the room. I couldn't follow things. I tried for three months. They got me everything. Dictation software. I had an assistant. They were so flexible with me. It's uh, It was almost absurd. It almost got sad because it was clear that they were going to wait until I said, I can't do this. Even though it was clear they weren't getting from me what they needed as a staff, they were going to keep letting me try until I decided it was enough. So about three months in, after several emergency room visits and lots of devastating attempts and and realizations, because a lot of, I think, what people don't realize is that you don't realize sometimes how bad the damage is until you try to use it. Prior to that, I had people driving me everywhere, 
I had people helping me cook. People were kind of, you know, I had a lot of people helping me get through the day and stay stable. And they weren't expecting me to use my brain that way. I wasn't using it as though I was working. So it was really devastating and it's still devastating. I'm on disability. I was approved for disability and I had to leave my dream job. And it's still, I actually still cry about it. It's been three years and I'm still like just devastated about losing that job. I've worked with my state of Michigan to try to find different opportunities that are flexible or or things that I will work for me, but um, I can't work for somebody else or full-time. I am extremely volatile. I have other health problems that have compounded the stroke and I uh, have a lot of fatigue, pain and symptoms. So vision problems. And I've never, I've never given up on the idea of having a career or finding a way to make money. I just realized I'm going to, I have to be a little bit more creative and do it in a way that works for me. So I recently did build sort of a platform and a business for myself called Goodness and Greens. It's an online shop, so it functions independent of whether I am have energy or whether I'm sick or whether I'm in the ER or anything. It's uh, selling aeroponic tower gardens that have automatic water and lights. So I live in a very northern climate that we have winter six months out of the year. So we can only garden for like two months and good produce is really expensive. <laughs> so these gardens, my friend got me one so that I can eat as healthy as possible without having to worry about uh, food chain supplies and spending a lot of money on produce. So that's one of the things I do um, and a whole food nutrition aspect of it. And I have a, a gift shop. It's called Giggles and Greens. So we sell little hand-painted designs from our one of our local art studios that have fruit and vegetable jokes on them. So it's just silly, something fun to make people smile. And of course, I, I'm very, very big on sustainability as well as healthy food. So I, I hope to find some success with it, but it'll probably be a, like a part-time career for me. Anna is an active member of several stroke support groups on Facebook. I have found that the place I learned the most about strokes and recovery and what it's like after was in all the support groups on Facebook. I joined to all these groups and I was so confused in a lot of their early recovery because my hospital doesn't have a lot of great post-stroke information. There's a kind of a lack of education in our rural hospital. And I was very confused by what was going on. Nobody prepared me for it. Things were happening that I didn't know were normal for strokes. So I would, you know, because you're scared and thinking things are happening. And then I go to this group and I find thousands of people all over the world that helped me understand what is normal, what, you know, what is consistent with strokes, what is a little more abnormal. And, And most importantly, I learned that recovery isn't over after six months. My conversations locally were like, six months is your baseline. After a year, you're not really getting any more recovery at all. There's nothing left for you. The words, there's nothing left for you were said to me by a neurologist. And that was, I'm glad that I had the fortitude to know that they're wrong. To say that to a brain injured patient, there's nothing left for you. It was horrifying. So finding these people and having that validation and that education and connection literally changed my recovery. So that's why I've wanted to start following more people and sharing a little bit of my content and stories because it was so valuable to me, especially in my early recovery. 
and Anna has some advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones. As a survivor, it's a marathon and not a sprint. Is one thing is is know that it's a long haul thing. I would say to find ways to be happy no matter what. Find something in your life that brings you joy because this can be a hard life. And finding something at your center that brings you joy is very powerful. And don't give up on yourself. Recovery never ends for stroke survivors. And so just don't allow yourself to be lulled into that sense of, I should just give up and and go on with my life and not try to get better. There's so much we can all do. Uh, You know, everybody's stroke is different, obviously. I can't say a blanket statement for this, but most people, if there's, you know, some functionality and and there's, there is an ability to get better, even if it's a little bit, even if it's not the way you wanted, don't, don't give up. Keep looking for those opportunities. And as far as a uh, family members, I would tell them it's going to be hard. And to remember always when it gets frustrating and when it gets hard, that just always remember that you get a break, that you get to leave and go to sleep or go somewhere or go to work and not be dealing with it. Um, The person, your family member that is now permanently injured never gets a break understand that it is hard. We know it's hard on you, but with that pain, please understand that it's it's constant for us. We never get to escape it. And also make sure you give yourself the space to take care of yourself so that you don't both end up sick. <laughs> it's very easy to, I think, settle into a codependent sort of mindset when you so badly wanna help somebody who's struggling with something so difficult. I have seen the effect it can have on people if they go too far or if they give more of their energy than they're able to give. So make sure you have or taking care of yourself and making that as much of a priority as you make taking care of your your loved one because it's sometimes easy to get lost in it. Anna continues to work hard on her physical recovery and despite having to leave her dream job, She's positive about her progress and hopes to talk more about her stroke in future to help others. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. And I was logging into my workstation, working in an operations center doing IT support. And my vision was impaired and and it was very choppy. I was viewing things frame by frame. And so it made me feel nauseous immediately. And so I I walked to our bathroom there at, at work I immediately threw up just because of the nausea. Remember to subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episode you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or know of a stroke survivor and have a story to share, please do contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.